The following sermon is presented by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. Well, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. You should be able to find your way there. Been there a little bit lately. We want to come to part two this morning of our study of being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that we said that being controlled by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for living the Christian life. You and I must know how to appropriate the resources of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order for us to enjoy His power and His energizing resources that He provides for us. We need the Holy Spirit to enable us to live the Christian life. And without him, we're going to be powerless. And so really the key to living the Christian life rightly is being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So I believe that this verse here, Ephesians 5, verse 18, is in essence one of the most important texts in all of Scripture related to how we're to live the Christian life. It is one of those most important passages on how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And it's one of those key texts on how God changes us and how he works in our lives to promote spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. I want to read verses 18 to 21. I invite you to follow along. Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In the midst of all of these instructions that Paul has been giving us in these latter chapters of the book of Ephesians, he is giving us here really the key that unlocks how to fulfill those instructions. You remember we've said that in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, there are no less than 35 instructions. Do this, don't do this, be filled with the Spirit, walk in wisdom, understand what the will of the Lord is, avoid sexual immorality, walk in a manner worthy of His calling, be humble. Be gracious. Make sure your words are seasoned with grace. And all of these instructions, if it weren't for this verse, would be legalism. Right? If it weren't for this passage right here, our ability to follow those instructions and obey those commands which God has given us would rely simply with us, our resources, our ability, our strength, what we can do to make sure that we're making ourselves obey these commands. But praise be to God that he's given us this verse right here that tells us not all of us is dependent upon us. There's a a power source, an energizing source in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit whom God has given us that enables us to follow these instructions, not in our resources, but in His. God has given us the resources we need. He supplies the power to grow us and to sanctify us and energize us internally through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It's not external, it's internal. This is what Paul wants us to understand. When Julie and I lived in Washington State, we lived not too far from the Grand Coulee Dam. It is a massive structure. It is one of the largest concrete structures in the entire world and it is the largest power plant in this country it's huge it's a mile long you can drive the top of the thing it's a mile long it is this massive structure 500 feet tall 500 feet wide and i always thought 
before living out there, that the water flowing over the top of the dam, the spillway, is what powered those turbines and generators. And so I thought when there was water flowing off the top there, it was making electricity, and I found living out there, very educational. But that's not the case. It's the water that flows in the inside, deep inside that dam as it flows through those turbines and it turns those generators and it makes electricity. It's, it's all that's going on deep within inside that dam. It's not what you can see on the outside. It's that's inside, deep within, without notice, done quietly, deep within that dam where tons and tons and tons of water flow through there that actually produces the electricity. It's internal, not external. That's what Paul wants us to understand. It's not external. Your ability to follow God's instructions and grow yourself spiritually is not external. It's not dependent upon you and your resources. It's all internal. What God has done in placing the Holy Spirit within your life to give you the energizing resources that you need to fulfill his instructions and obey his commands and grow spiritually. And friends, this is what we need to understand. This is how God grows us. The degree to which we are dependent upon the person and the work of the Holy Spirit to enable us to fulfill his instructions. So it depends on how much we yield to him, how much we submit to the Spirit, how much we walk with the Spirit and are controlled by the Spirit. That's what Paul wants us to clearly understand here. In fact, he shows us how important this is. In fact, he says in verse 19 that when you're going to do this, when you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to be speaking to another, one another by truth. You're going to be singing to one another and making melody in your heart. There's going to be joy in your life, which is what we're all after. We want happiness. We want joy. How does that come? It comes not when you seek yourself, but when you seek the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Verse 20 says you're going to be giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21, you're going to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So your relationships are going to be healthy. And so what he's doing here is giving us the consequences of the spirit-filled life. Starting in verse 22, he shows us the importance of this for marriage. He says that the the spirit-filled wife is going to submit to her husband in verses 22 and 23. And verses 24 to the end, he's going to tell us that the spirit-filled husband is going to love his wife and cherish his wife and treasure his wife. Beginning of chapter 6, we're going to find out that spirit-filled children are going to obey their parents and spirit-filled parents are not going to provoke their children to anger, verse 4. Verses 5 through 9, we're going to learn that spirit-filled employees are going to work hard for their bosses and spirit-filled bosses are going to be kind to their employees. So you can see that this instruction right here permeates the entirety of the Christian life. It affects your marriages, your family, your parenting, your work, your own heart. This is no small instruction. And some of you need to hear this this morning and be reminded this once again, that it's not your own resources, your own power, your own fleshly ability to just kind of gut it out and and do what God wants you to do. You will always fail. But in God's strength and his grace and the spirit, he will enable you to fulfill his instructions. Now, by way of reminder, let me just take you to verse 18. And I want you to see what we briefly talked about last week. The beginning of the verse starts with a command, do not get drunk with wine. This is a negative prohibition. Paul follows it with a positive exhortation. And we spent time last week looking at the the negative prohibition, do not get drunk with wine. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that today. We talked about it last week. We all know the dangers of drunkenness. But Paul is here detailing for us and delineating for us the danger of this. He's drawing a contrast A contrast between the way you used to live and fleshly living and worldly living and unwise living and and foolish living. 
Walking in the darkness, that's how you used to live. And what he's saying is, don't you go back there. You used to live that way. Now, now don't go back there. Don't live that way anymore. That's your old life. Now live your life in the power of the Spirit of God. So you must avoid drunkenness. Because he tells us in verse 15, it's dissipation. It's reckless. It is always going to lead to unrestrained living, a disorderly life, a lack of self-control, recklessness, debauchery, riotous. You're going to be incorrigible, meaning your life is going to be out of control. It's going to be a train wreck if you live according to your flesh and the means of drinking. There's actually a couple other places in scriptures where this comparison between drinking and the spirit is brought together. Let me just share a couple of these with you. In Luke chapter 1, verse 15, you may remember when the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and Elizabeth and said, you're going to have a son. We just talked about this a couple weeks ago. And his son, your son is going to be John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. And you remember that the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. You see that? Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says, Your son, who will be the forerunner of Christ, will drink no wine, no liquor. He's going to take a Nazarite vow. And the vow of the Nazarite was to never drink alcohol. He would commit himself to the Lord and say, I'll never indulge in some of those worldly influences. And so this was the vow of the Nazarite. That was what John the Baptist took. Instead... The Gabriel, the angel says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not going to be influenced by wine. He's going to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. We saw that when Mary came to visit him. He jumped by the power of the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. It's one example of where there's a contrast between drinking and the power of the Spirit. There's another one in Acts chapter 2. You remember in Acts 2 is when Pentecost happened. And Pentecost is when God gave the Holy Spirit to the church, to the the early believers there. And as these believers are gathered together in the city of Jerusalem, you remember what happened. The Spirit of God came upon these believers. Acts 2 verse 4 says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So they began speaking in languages. Languages they didn't know. And by the way, that's what tongues are. Tongues are languages. Known languages. They're, they're not esoteric, babbling, no one knows what you're saying. It's not a, the gibberish kind of language. It is a known language. There were people from Cappadocia. There were people from Mysia. There were people from all of these other parts of the world there in Jerusalem. And they hear proclaimed in their own language these great and wonderful things that, that God has done. So they're speaking in tongues. They're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And these unbelieving Jews are standing around watching in amazement. And Acts 2.12 says they were continually amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And some of them said to each other, but others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. So they're drunk. Peter steps up. Verse 15 of Acts 2, he says, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. So what you have there is another contrast between alcohol, drinking, spirits, and the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. So that's, that's the negative prohibition. Here in Ephesians 5.18, Paul makes the same instruction. Do not get drunk 
with wine. Don't be influenced by alcohol. Instead, be influenced by the Holy Spirit. I think it's pretty easy for us to understand that. We all know the dangers of drinking. We all know the the dangers of drunkenness. And so I don't want to beat a dead horse. I do want to spend the rest of our time, though, on the rest of this verse, verse 18. And we began to look at it last week. I want to expand on it this week because I believe it is so crucial. Verse 18 says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Most of us can wrap our minds around what it means to be drunk. Few of us can wrap our minds around what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can identify drunkenness pretty easily. We can point that out and we can, we can see what that looks like. But few of us can really put our hands upon or wrap our minds around what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's much more difficult. And so this, this part of this verse is so misunderstood and often misapplied that I want to take the time to really help us understand what this looks like. Because I want us as a church to get this. And I want us as believers and families and fathers and mothers to really grasp what this is saying because it's absolutely essential for living the Christian life. So, let me summarize a little bit what we said last week and then I want to expand on it a little bit more this morning. First, let me remind you once again what this is not. And I think it's helpful for us in order to understand what this is, what he is talking about. I think it's crucial for us to understand first what he's not talking about. First, I'm going to give you a list of these. If you want to write these down, you can write these down if you want. But first, it does not mean the same as being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not the same as being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That that is something that takes place at the moment of conversion, at the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. You become a tabernacle, a temple of the Holy Spirit, and your body is now the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. That's something that takes place at the moment of your conversion. It's automatic. It's instantaneous. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is not the same as being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, it is not the same as being baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's not the same as being baptized by the Holy Spirit. This also is something that takes place to you and for you at the moment of your conversion. When you come to Christ, you are instantaneously and immediately baptized by the Holy Spirit, meaning He comes and takes you and places you within the church, within the body of Christ. Not the visible church, but the universal church. The invisible church. You're placed into the body of Christ by the permanent indwelling and baptizing of the Holy Spirit. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit can't mean that. Thirdly, it also does not mean to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't mean to be indwelt. It doesn't mean to be baptized. Thirdly, it does not mean to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've already seen in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. And chapter 4, verse 30, that we have been sealed for the day of redemption. We have already experienced the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It's taken place already in our hearts. And what Christ has done, what God has done, is placed a seal or a stamp upon us, which basically says, that one's mine, hands off. And all the promises that I've made to you are guaranteed because of this deposit called the Holy Spirit, whom I've placed within you. So the filling of the Holy Spirit can't mean that. There's only one indwelling... There's only one baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there's only one sealing of the Holy Spirit, all of which occur at the moment you receive Christ. He's included in your salvation. This past Christmas, our kids got some gifts, and some of those gifts required batteries. And some of the packages on those 
things that they got. Had a little thing on the side that said, batteries not included, which is every parent's worst nightmare because you want them to play with it, but now you have to go batteries. So that, that's the idea here, is that they're not included, that you have to go buy them, they're sold separately. But not when it comes to Christ and salvation. When you come to Christ, there's no tagline that says, Holy Spirit sold separately, right? Holy Spirit comes later. No. He comes now at the moment of your conversion. You're indwelt. You're baptized. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So it can't mean any of those things. Let me give you some other things it does not mean. Fourthly, it does not mean filling up like you fill up a container. We talked about this a little bit last week. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not indicating that you're filling yourselves up. So some days you have 33% of the Spirit, and some days you have 92% of the Spirit, and some days you only have a little tiny drop. That's not what it means. When we think of the term filling, we, we have this idea of an empty cup, and you fill it up part way. And so some days you have more or less. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not speaking of being filled up. He's, being, he's speaking of being filled through. Very different understanding of those things. So it's not a matter of acquiring more of the Holy Spirit. We have all of Him. He's been given to us. So we don't fill our lives up with more and more of Him. We have all that we need of the Spirit. So it can't mean this filling up like you fill a container. Fifthly, it does not mean that you have to beg for this. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not something you have to beg for. And I told you last week that as a young believer, this is kind of what I thought it was. That you wake up in the morning and you plead with God, okay, God, I really need your help today, so please help me, please fill me with your spirit. It was kind of this begging, pleading with God to give you the Holy Spirit and fill you the Holy Spirit that day. That, that's not what it means. He's not talking about something you have to plead with God for or beg him for, for the resources for that day. Sixthly, it does not refer to a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. It does not refer to something where you as a believer get the Spirit at salvation, but then you get more of the Spirit later on in your conversion experience. This is what charismatic friends will say. That they'll want us to understand that, yeah, you get the Spirit at salvation, but you, you, you have, then have to experience a second blessing. And so they'll oftentimes ask you, have, have you gotten the Spirit? Have you experienced the Spirit? Have you, have you spoken in tongues yet? And, and the emphasis here is on a, a second blessing, a, another occasion where you get more of the Spirit and you get the rest of the Spirit and He kind of elevates you to a, a greater level. This is the second blessing mentality of the Holy Spirit. That's not what He's talking about. There's another thing it doesn't mean. It's related to the last one. But seventh, it's also not a let go and let God kind of theology. And I feel like I need to say something about this because it's a fairly prevalent theology. And, and it's very similar to the, the second blessing mentality, but this is the evangelical version of it. All right, So let me explain this to you. Uh, those who would hold to this assume that the Christian life has kind of two stages to it. And the first stage is where you get saved, and the second stage is where you get serious. Okay, this is let go, let God theology. And what it says basically is you first get saved and then at some point later in your life you make the decision to get serious about God. And when you make that decision, then you kind of decide to be filled with the Spirit and you move to this greater level of holiness. This is the thought that you move from a defeated life to a victorious life. 
from a kind of a lower life to a higher life, from a shallow life in Christ to a deeper life in Christ, from a fruitless life to a more abundant life, from being carnal to being spiritual, from taking Jesus as your Savior to finally taking him as Lord. This is the mentality here. The idea is you become passive in the Christian life, and by becoming passive, you release the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's also known as quietism, or Keswick theology, or the higher Christian life, or the victorious Christian life. And the idea here is you just kind of let go, and you let God work, and take you to the next level. It tends to be very mystical. Because you're looking for signs from God. You're looking to hear from God. You're looking to get some sort of word from the Lord. And so it's this kind of segregated, disjointed, two-tiered kind of system of theology where you get saved, but sometime later in your life, then you really get serious about God. And that's when you're filled with the Spirit. And those who have adopted this, either knowingly or unknowingly, will say something like this. They'll say, I was saved when I was six, but I really committed my life to the Lord when I was 17. You don't see that in Scripture. Do you? Show me in Scripture where you see a two-tiered system of Christianity. You're not going to find it. You come to Christ. And you live for Christ and the power of the Spirit from that moment forward. And so this is something we truly have to comprehend and understand. You can't divide Jesus into Savior and Him as Lord. You can't be carnal and then suddenly move to the spiritual. That's that's a a, a segregation that you're not going to see explained anywhere in Scripture. Because when you're justified, you'll be sanctified. Every person God justifies, He also sanctifies. So you can't be saved and live in this perpetual state of carnality and not be sanctified. Every person whom God justifies, He also sanctifies. So we have to understand that the filling of the Holy Spirit is not kind of this higher life, next stage of your Christian journey where you finally reached and you finally committed yourself to the Lord. That's not what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 5. So all that's not what it means. It's not referring to indwelling, baptizing, sealing, being filled up like a cup, something you have to beg for. It's not a second blessing, nor is it this let go and let God approach. So what does it mean? What is this? What you have here is a statement by the Apostle Paul describing a spiritual state where the Holy Spirit is fulfilling all that he came to do in you and through you. That's what it is. It's a spiritual state where the Holy Spirit is fulfilling all that he came to do in your life and you're availing yourself to those resources to enable the Holy Spirit to do exactly what he wants to do in your life. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you have to remember, this is a New Testament phenomenon. Remember back in the Old Testament that people were sometimes filled with the Spirit, but very occasionally and very rarely. There are a few instances of this terminology filled with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Like Samson. Remember Samson? God says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you have a guy who was an immoral, idolater kind of guy who was filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure how that always works out, but here's a guy who was clearly filled with the Holy Spirit, given supernatural strength, but it was for a short time, for a very specific purpose, and a very specific individual. 
You have it in the case of Bezalel, the builder of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So there are a few occasions in the Old Testament of people being filled by the Holy Spirit, but it was very uncommon, very temporary for a specific task. But now you come to Pentecost and the New Testament, and it's entirely different. Every believer gets the Holy Spirit. And every believer is indwelt, baptized, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and can walk in and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you see this in the book of Acts. Throughout the book of Acts, you see Peter filled with the Spirit. Think about that. Here's a guy who just a few days before that fled and ran away at the crucifixion because he was scared. A day before that, he had denied Christ. And here he is, 50 days later, preaching with such boldness and compassion and conviction that the world didn't know what to do with him. Why? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 13, the same thing. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the idea that Paul is getting at here in Ephesians 5.18. He is getting at this mentality that not only are you sealed and dwelt and baptized by the Holy Spirit, But now you have to appropriate the resources that come with that on a daily basis, moment by moment, day by day, second by second occasion. And so the issue here is not getting us getting more of the Spirit, but Him getting more of us. That's the issue. Not us needing to get more of the Holy Spirit. We have all of Him. The issue here is Him getting more of us. We began to explain this a little bit last week trying to fill out what this means. So when he says in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, there's a couple imageries behind this. Let me me share these with you. First one is the imagery of of wind filling a sail. So if you've ever been sailing before, you know that on a sailboat, the the wind literally fills those sails and pushes you along and and creates kind of this current for your, your craft to be pushed through the water. That's the idea here where the Holy Spirit is pushing you down the pathway of obedience, filling your sails, as it were, and providing for you the the thrust and the resources necessary to live the Christian life. Over Christmas break, I took the kids to Amon Park. Is that how you say it? Out by Standale? Amon? Amon? I don't know how you say it, but Amon? Amon, thank you. And, And so we walked down to the river there, and our kids got these big chunks of snow, and they were throwing them in the water and running to the other side of the bridge and seeing how long it would take for them to pass under the bridge and then taking more snow and bombing, you know, bombing the snow that was in there before great fun kids' activities. What was moving that snow was the current of the water. It was the flow and the force of that water pushing those things downstream. That's the idea. Where your life is, in a sense, being pushed downstream and and filled with sails and the wind is filling your sails and it's being thrust forward by the the motion and the resources of the Holy Spirit. That's the idea. So one idea here is that your sails, uh, in a sense, of your life are filled with the Holy Spirit. The other sense, the second sense, is the idea of permeation. Where your life is... And every aspect of it is permeated by the Holy Spirit. Your thoughts, your words, your relationships, your desires, your motives, your conduct. Everything kind of is permeated by the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Like Elka Seltzer. Remember the plop, plop, fizz, fizz? Remember those commercials? 
And you would drop those things in and they would kind of bubble and foam and, and everything would start to melt and, and it would just permeate the entire thing of water. I'm probably dating myself. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But that's, that's the idea. You're just totally permeating this, this liquid with some other thing. And that's the idea when it comes to the Christian life. You want the Holy Spirit permeating every part of your life where he has total control, where you're totally dominated by the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to notice, as we said last week, verse 18, this is a command. Be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. You and I are instructed, we're commanded, we're, we're ordered by the Lord to do this, which implies and tells us something very important. It's not automatic. It doesn't automatically happen to us on a, on a basis like the indwelling, sealing, baptizing of the Spirit. That's not the same thing. And so because it's commanded, it shows us that it's not a once-for-all experience. You must put yourself in a place on a daily basis, sometimes moment-by-moment basis, where you allow yourself to be Spirit-filled. This is a command, and disobedience to this command is sin. It's also a passive command, which means you don't do it to yourself. That's very important because it means that you must put yourself in a place on a daily basis for the Holy Spirit to do it to you. You can't make yourself spirit-filled, but you can allow yourself to be spirit-filled by meeting the conditions. And we'll talk about those in just a moment. It's a command. It's a passive command. It's also a present tense command, which means this needs to be the habitual pattern of your life on an ongoing basis, day after day after day after day after moment after moment after moment, every moment of every day. This is something that must be characteristic of you. It literally says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit or keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit or be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command on an ongoing, habitual, moment-by-moment basis to make sure that in those situations of life, you are Spirit-filled. You can't say, well, I'm filled with the Spirit. That does it. I'm good for the rest of my life. You can't do that. If the guy, you can't, guys, you can't say to your wife when you get married, I, I love you, and if that changes, I'll ever let you know. Right? That doesn't work. She, she needs to hear from you on a daily basis. I love you. I cherish you. I value you. The same thing is true here. You, you must be in a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen very carefully. That tells us something very important. That tells us that at times we are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Indwelt, yes. Baptized, yes. Sealed, yes. Filled, no. It's very, very important to understand that there are times when we go through life and we are not filled with the Spirit. Instead, we are walking by the flesh. And Paul in Galatians chapter 5 makes that distinction. That's why he says, make sure you're walking in the Spirit and not walking in the flesh. Because when you walk in the Spirit, there's going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. But when you're walking in the flesh... There's factions and dissensions and arguing and drunkenness and carousing. You and I are not always walking filled with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I believe that is one of the key reasons 
why Christians are at different levels of spiritual maturity. I believe this is one of the key reasons why you have different believers who are at various stages of Christian maturity because it depends on this. Part of it's time. I understand that. Part of it is, is just time being a Christian and walking with the Lord and learning to obey Him. Part of that is time, but part of it is the degree to which you and I are willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can have someone who's been a believer for decades and they're a spiritual infant. And you can have someone who's been saved for just a relatively short period of time and they are spiritual giants. Why? This principle. The degree to which you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit is the degree to which we will be spiritually mature. And those who do it on a more regular basis will be more spiritually mature. Those who do it on a less regular basis will be less spiritually mature. This was the problem with the Corinthians. Paul wrote an entire letter to a group of spiritually immature believers. And he starts his letter by saying, To you, the Corinthians, who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling. Saved. Spirit-led. Spirit-indwelt. Sanctified. Godly. Saints. And two chapters later, he says, And you, brothers, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as infants in Christ. Why? Because they weren't filled with the Spirit. They were walking in the flesh. Friends, this is so, so, so important. You can be baptized into the body. You can be indwelt by the Spirit. You can be sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. But you can still be walking in the flesh. And Paul wants us to grasp this because it really determines the level of your spiritual growth. And on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, the decisions that you make and the degree to which you are filled with the Spirit adds up over a lifetime to determine whether you're spiritually mature or spiritually immature. So we have to understand that it is through the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit when we are yielded to Him that makes us godly, holy, sanctified, growing, and when we're not, our growth is stunted. It's like trying to drive a car without a motor. You, you can have a beautiful car. looks great, beautiful, polished, not a nick on it, beautiful interior. You sit down, you start, there's nothing there because there's no motor. That's what the Christian life like is like without the Spirit of God filling you and working in your heart. You can be polished, looking good on the outside, really impressing people and showing others that, man, that, that person's really got it together and yet have no power in your life. Now, the question is, how do you get yourself in a position daily to make sure that you're filled with the Holy Spirit? As I said before, there are conditions that must be met in order for you to be filled with the Spirit. You don't just wake up and plead with God and pray to God and ask God to be filled with the Spirit. You have to meet conditions to put yourself in a place where you are passively filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? You don't do this to yourself, so you must put yourself in a place where God does this to you. So what are those conditions that enable you on a daily basis, moment-by-moment basis, to be those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. I shared some of these with you last week and I want to elaborate on one of them. Let me just summarize quickly. Number one, prayer. 
You don't pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, but you be a person of prayer. You, you be one, Ephesians 6.18, as it says, pray in the Spirit at all times. So you be a man or a woman of prayer. That shows your dependence upon Christ. It shows your, your lack of independence. It shows that you're depending upon the Lord and you're bringing your issues before Him and you're praying. That's an indicative, indicative of the heart of a person who's submitted and yielded to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we talked about confessing sin. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do you grieve the Spirit? Have you ever thought about that? How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? You grieve the Holy Spirit by not confessing sin, by cherishing sin, by harboring sin, by, by not keeping a short account of sin. You let sin run rampant in your heart and not really dealt with. You let those sinful thoughts and attitudes get out there and you don't reel them back in and you don't confess them to the Lord. That grieves the Holy Spirit. And so when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you... Do what First Thessalonians 5.19 says, you quench the Holy Spirit. First you grieve Him, then you quench Him. You, you throw water on the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life. You pour cold water on Him such that you stifle Him and suppress Him and He can't operate the way He intends to and wants to in your life because there's sin and it quenches His ministry. So, these are some of the conditions. You pray... You confess sin. Thirdly, you spend time in the Word. And this is the one I want to spend just a few more moments on before we wrap up this morning. You spend time in the Word. And I want you to get this because sometimes we make this so complicated. Sometimes we make this so mystical and Ooh, I think I've got the spirit now. I can kind of feel something. You know, I've had someone tell me I, I've got this warm feeling that flows down my body. That's not good. That could be some other issues. You might be sick or something, right? Like, you need to go see the doctor. Don't, don't read into that. So we, we make so much more out of this than we should. We, we look for signs and symbols and impressions and feelings of, I think I got the spirit now. We make it so complicated. It's not complicated. It's get yourself in the word of God. And let the word of God permeate your mind because the word of God is the tool that the spirit of God uses to fill you. Colossians 3.16. I had to turn there last week. Why don't you do it one more time? Colossians 3.16. You remember those effects that I told you about earlier, that the effects of being filled with the Spirit back in Ephesians 5? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You're going to be singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. You're going to be giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Colossians 3, verse 16, it says the same thing. It says you're going to be with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another. And you're going to with all psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you're going to be singing with thankfulness in your heart. That's the exact same effect. So that tells us that what comes early in Colossians 3.16 is parallel to Ephesians 5.18. What is it? Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So that tells us that being filled with the Holy Spirit is identical to letting the word of Christ dwell richly in you. They're the same thing because they produce the same effect. 
So, you want to be filled with the Spirit? Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Don't go sit in a corner somewhere and plead with God to fill you with the Spirit. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Don't look for some emotional sense that there's some sort of sign that this is happening to you. Don't look for the warm sensations. You want to be filled with the Spirit? You fill your mind with the Word of God. It's pretty simple. You fill your mind with the truth of Scripture. You do what Spurgeon says. You bleed Bibeline. So that when someone cuts you, what comes out is Bible. The Bible is God's change agent. The the Bible, the scriptures, this is how God changes you. This is how God works in you and enables you to be filled with the Holy Spirit by filling your mind with his word so that it becomes the guide for all your life. This is what Jesus said, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How do you grow? How do you mature? How are you sanctified? It's when the word of God is dwelling in your heart so the spirit of God can apply it to your heart and sanctify you and grow you. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. There's four things Paul tells us in that verse that the word of God does. He says, first, it teaches. It instructs. It enables you to understand what God wants you to understand. It starts here in the mind. Teaching is cognitive first. So the word of God informs your mind about its truth. It's the owner's manual to govern every aspect of your life. And the more you know the Bible, the less you are susceptible to sin. So it teaches us. Secondly, the word of God rebukes us. When we're sinning, when we're off the path, The word of God comes up alongside of us and says, you're headed the wrong direction. You are going the wrong way. This is the way of truth. This is the way of righteousness. You are heading way off the path. The word of God rebukes that. And thirdly, it says for correction. The word of God does then. Number one, it teaches us. Then it rebukes us. And then it causes us to correct our course and go back onto the right course. So the word of God is, is the path for us. And then when we get off that path, it rebukes us and confronts us and says, whoa, wait a minute, you're going all the way, you shouldn't go. And then it tells us to go back to the course of the word of God. It corrects. And fourthly, it trains us in righteousness. It teaches us how to be godly. It teaches us to stay on the path of righteousness. And the spirit of God uses the word of God to do all four of those. To teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us and transform us and train us in righteousness. So listen, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to shed light on old truth, not reveal new truth. Got that? The job of the Holy Spirit is to help you and I understand old truth, not reveal new truth. And you have to understand that. Because there are all kinds of people today in the Christian circles looking for new truth. I just want a word from the Lord. I just want to hear something from Him. I just want a personal message from God so I know what I'm supposed to do. I just want to hear Him speak to me. 
Are you reading Jesus Calling? That's what that book's about. The book is written with the premise that you can go away from the Word of God and you can sit in a room by yourself with a pencil in your hand and get secret messages from God. And she's written them down in a book and they're sold by the case lot at Costco. We're confusing this. It's not that difficult. It's not that complicated. The Spirit's role is to help us understand old truth, not reveal new truth. It's good they want to hear from the Lord. I commend people for wanting to hear the Holy Spirit speak to them. That's good. That's admirable. But listen, He has spoken, He is speaking. It's in the scriptures. It's in the word of God. This book contains God's word to us. And when you read it, he speaks to you. So you want to hear God speak to you? You read the book. You read the scriptures. You don't go outside of it looking for new revelation. The book is closed. The canon is closed. He's not adding new revelation to it. You say, well, it's not the same as scripture. You can't separate revelation from revelation. Revelation is revelation, period. Get that? So... We have to be so, so careful about this. If I expect direct revelation to me, who needs the Bible? Right? If I can go through a day and I can kind of get my secret messages from God, and I can get the secret word from the Holy Spirit to me, whispering in my little ear, do this, do this, oh, don't do that, do this. Why do you need the Bible? Why do you need the Scriptures? We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to hear from Him. But we end up ignoring the very vehicle through which He has already spoken. So you want to be filled with the Spirit? You read God's Word. You let your heart and your mind be immersed and transformed by Scriptures. I love what Randy Alcorn says. He says, if I would listen to the voice of the Spirit, I should put my ear to the Word of God. Why wait for the Spirit to speak when I have in my hands what He has already spoken? The distance between me and God's revelation is the distance between me and my Bible. I should prayerfully ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance in my biblical study, but not ask Him to speak independently of it. End quote. So let's not make this more complicated than it is. Let's not get all mystical about this. Let's not seek some emotional, sentimental, esoteric experience where you're just seeing lights from heaven and warm sensations coming over your body. It's not that hard. Pray. Confess your sin. Read the Word of God. And you will be one who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as you do so, you will be walking in the Spirit. You see how practical this is? This meets you and I right where we are tomorrow morning when we wake up. So let's be people who practice the very simple, sometimes hard, but simple conditions for how to be filled with God's Spirit. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us a prescription here for being filled with your Spirit. Thank you that it's not some mystical experience. It's not something that we have to kind of work ourselves up. Lord, it's just the simple basics of loving Christ, loving your word, walking in holiness, and confessing sin. Let us appropriate the resources that you've given.
and not try and find other resources and other means. We thank you for your grace. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon presented at Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan, where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's Son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.